Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 590. Currently available on digital and streaming is Bliss of Evil, a 1997 set horror film in which a grunge band finds themselves locked inside a music studio and preyed upon by a demented killer. An Australian-made indie slasher of tense atmosphere, dense subject matter and bloody kills, Bliss of Evil proves to be a great addition to the thriving Australian horror scene. And joining me now is the co-writer, producer and star of Bliss of Evil, Mr. Corey Hinchin. Corey, how are you today? I'm very well, Matthew. Thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. You know, when I got uh, approached about Bliss of Evil, I'm always on the lookout for not only talking to like Aussie filmmakers, but like, you know, horror is just like my thing, my genre, you know, you could tell really I couldn't behind tell you such the Exorcist like soundtrack yeah. behind you and all no. stuff. And Jaws. No, Jaws and all that. No, of course not. <laughs> but um what I love about this movie is that like I said in my intro, it's a nineteen ninety seven set movie. So I was around sixteen in nineteen ninety seven. And what you guys are doing in this movie, going to a rehearsal studio with with a band and, and practicing and such, that's what I did when I was sixteen years old. I had a band, I was a bass player, I had a metal band. We went to a rehearsal studio about 10 minutes from where I am now. And I know what it's like to be in bands. It could be a really kind of like thrilling thing, but at times it could be a really combustible kind of like um, clash of all these personalities and stuff coming together. And from what I understand is that some of the former bandmates you had over the years, especially back in that time, um, some of the more, say, uh, extreme former bandmates, they kind of like set the, the tone, set the influence, set the germ of an idea for what we see in Bliss of Evil. Can you just explain a little more about that? I'm really curious about that. Yeah, that's correct. Well, I was a young teen in 97 myself. Um, we set the film in 97 mainly because we all grew up in that time period. I, I was I I was in bands quite young, like 18 or so, but that was in like the early to mid 2000s um but yeah I, I similar to you man i was in like heavy metal bands punk bands doing my own stuff um and then uh yeah this idea just came to me one day i was josh who directed the film we were having uh we we're eating out at a korean restaurant here in brisbane and i just said to him did i ever tell you the time that one of my bandmates went absolutely insane and and threatened to kill us all and was almost successful (laughs) um and he's like no and then and then we went over it and then it just kind of developed from there but um yeah i've i've heard some horror stories from other people that have been in bands um it just is what it is you get those kind of clash of egos and then then some people uh make it their life, I guess. They, they live for the band. And in our case, with the particular band member that this is kind of loosely based on, uh, we all decided, look, we're kind of getting too old to be doing this kind of stuff anymore. We're, we're kind of done. You know, we were all getting started in our careers and things. And that band member was, the band was everything to him and he mm. didn't take it very well at all. Um, so that's where that all stems from. When I talk to indie uh, filmmakers, both here and both in the States, sometimes a lot of things times you have to do when you have limited resources and limited budget, you have to use what you have at your disposal. Mm-hmm. 
use what's around you. And in this case, you guys had access to this music studio, right? This kind of like Correct. rehearsal space. Yeah. And it's a unique setting for a horror film. I, don't, I can only think maybe one or two where I've seen a horror film set like in a rehearsal space like, you know, like, like that. And it works so well because we're talking about contained. The whole point of a rehearsal is supposed to be a contained space. Basically, all you guys locked in this room, soundproof, no one can hear, mm. or, you know. Um, so when it came to finding that um, uh, that space, that rehearsal space, and basing it in there, um, what type of – is there any type of um, – one of my looking for difficulties in working in such a contained environment, especially at a time of COVID when you guys are filming because, you yeah. know, to be all together in one space – like that, I'm sure it would have come up with some uh, some uh, uh, a bit of a balancing act there between you know uh, restrictions and going, trying to get this film done. Well, as you know, like in Australia, like we had some of the strictest COVID restrictions in the world. Um, so we were only allowed ten people at any one time, even though we were a completely independent production. So I guess having such a like we had people like outside the studio waiting to come in and then like swapping over and stuff just because if we got fined or something when then that's the end of the production so we did everything above board there um but yeah there were times when you know all 10 of those people would be in the one little rehearsal room and you know maybe two of those people are actors and the rest are camera operators, director, director of photography, the sound person, the lighting tech, um, the camera assistant, like all like in this little room. And then you've got to worry about, oh, oh, hell, are they going to wind up in a shot? Is there a shadow there? Um, even with like the boom operator, it's like they had a hard time, you know, getting the boom in a certain spot where it wasn't. Mm going to be seen then we'd have to rig up mics and stuff like that but it did help um with the claustrophobia that we were aiming for the only difficulty was uh, we ran into one day where there was a double booking um there was a separate section that we didn't really have access to it was a privately owned it was still within uh that rehearsal block but there was one room that was owned by uh, a, a local drummer. Oh, he like leased it from the mm. property owner himself and he lent it to some friends and he forgot to mention to them that we were going to be f filming that day. So that was a very long day of filming because they were actually in there to record. So we had to, you know, we didn't want to be complete assholes about it because we were both, you know, I know what it's like to be, in indie bands and it's like if you spend that money um to hire that studio and get those people in that room and you kind of need to do it then so we actually worked out a deal where they would do a take and then somebody would come tell us all right we're going to be done you guys have half an hour while we sort sort out other stuff and then we'd relay back to them so it just made that you know 10 hour day into a 16 hour day <laughs> but is what it is. And while you guys are filming, I, I imagine you are all still working your normal day jobs as well. And so yep. a lot of your filming, I guess, would be what, nighttime and weekends or would it just Depends, be even mainly. more contained than that? It was mainly, we shot over well, uh, 13 days it ended up being, but it was like Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, sometimes wrapping up at like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. on a Sunday morning and then having to go to work on a Monday. So, yeah. 
Um, so when you are you are in the film, you play the the bad guy essentially in the movie, yeah. Bloodface. I guess I, there's not really any other um, name accredited to him, but Bloodface is like more the and the reason why you have the Bloodface is because. You know, when it comes to slasher films, the mask is a big component or some mm. type of disfigurement or, or such or, or a part of the killer. Where in the ca- case of your character, um, he takes the blood from his victims and he smears it all mm. over himself. I haven't, I don't remember ever seeing that in a film. I think the only film maybe I've seen something even close to that was this um, kind of obscure William Freakin film that came out in the mid-80s called Rampage. Um, and where there's a there's one part in the film where the, where the guy does that, but that's only for like five minutes or so. This is like mm. your character for the majority of the time. Where did the idea come from to do the whole kind of blood aspect and and put it together? Was it kind of like a we kind of evoking kind of some sort of black metal corpse paint kind of idea kind of thing, or was it something else? Uh, maybe subconsciously, but realistically, we actually originally we were like tossing up ideas. You know, it's a slasher film. It's heavily inspired by all the classic slashes, everything from Scream to Halloween. And we were like, oh, we should probably get a mask made. And we reached out to some uh, established special effects people. And they were like, yeah, happy to do a mask for you, blah, blah, blah. But then we got the uh, the estimate of what it was mm. going to cost. And it's like, well, that's going to be a third of our budget. We can't afford that. And then I just came up with the idea. I just said, um, how about we do this? And then we ran it by one of our makeup artists that did it. And yeah, I've, I've, I've got pretty, I don't know if you can see, but I've got dark features, I guess, like pronounced cheekbones and stuff like that. So once we, I, I had to shave twice a day because I, I, I can grow a beard pretty easily. Oh so. yeah. I know what that's like. Yeah. I know. So I'd, I'd shave in the morning. We'd, do all the makeup and put the layers of blood on and contacts in and stuff. And then, you know, 10 hours later, I'd start to have stubble again. So we'd have to wipe it off and then I'd have to shave. And mm. um, yeah, it was one of those things that just kind of happened. It wasn't really planned. It was just a thing that we did on a whim and it, and it worked. And, and like you said, we, we were kind of thinking like, has this been done before? And it's like, we thought of, other things where people had taken like somebody's blood and put it on their face or whatever, but it wasn't really done as uh, using that blood to create a mask, if that makes sense. Because throughout the film, the blood just keeps getting thicker and thicker. And towards the end of the film, you can kind of see like the multiple layers that are clearly there because it's starting to like get dry and all crusty. And yeah, it was fun. Speaking of dry and crusty, um, I've spoken to other actors before who, in horror films, that had to deal with working with blood. Um, mm. And sometimes I've, some people have just been like just actually coated in a butt at the end of their, their shoot, you know, like after all the, the kills and everything. And the feedback I always get is that it's not a comfortable experience because, like, you know, the stuff stays on you for a while. Sometimes you might get rashes and, and getting it off your face might not even work. I had some actors even say they couldn't even be bothered wiping it off and they just went to the store with the, with the, with the stuff on and some of the looks that they got was quite something else. What was that experience like for you after, say, day 13 of having all this kind of, like, stuff on your face uh, and, um, and having to shave twice a day? I'm sure it would have been yeah. incredibly uncomfortable for you. It was. I, I developed a skin, skin allergy. And I mm-hmm. had to go to a dermatologist and I had to get, um, God, they put me on medication for it. So wow. I got like really dry, patchy skin. And I, I was like, well, yeah, that that's clearly what it was. But there was one night there because um, 
the studio itself, there were like toilets in there, but there, there was no shower or anywhere where I could really get it all off me. And there was one night where we were filming quite late and it was one of the nights where we had the van like that the band drives and there's only two people on set that could drive a manual and one was shani who plays isla the lead of the film she actually picked the van up and drove it to the set and um i just said look i'll i'll drive it back to the people that we were borrowing it from and so i was the only other person that had an open license and could drive a, a stick for american viewers um so it was like a long shoot. We finished at like three in the morning, drove it back. Um, and I got there, I put the keys in the in their letterbox and I got my phone out and I ordered an Uber and I completely forgotten that I was covered in blood mm-hmm. and I still had the contacts in and everything because previous nights I'd just drive home, have a shower, whatever. Um, but that night, yeah, I, I had to do that. And the Uber driver picked me up and just drove me back to the studio where my car was parked and he didn't say a thing. And he wished, he's like, have a good night and drove off afterwards. <laughs> and it made me think, what other shit have you seen where this is okay? Some guy's just gotten in the back of your van and is covered in blood from head to toe and you don't even bat an eyelid, so... I'm sure that Uber driver has some stories. Maybe that's a story he tells everyone now. Maybe that's an idea for another movie. You know, the rideshare guy who, like, you know, came out he has a <laughs> do a uh, job for a, for a slasher killer. You just covered in blood and such. There you go. That'd be a good that idea. Could be a, that could be a good idea, man. Um, you mentioned before some of the um, influences that you guys had, especially in regards mm. to uh, the, the slasher genre and the film being set in the 90s. So some of the stuff I picked up on was fairly evident. Like you have characters named Jamie Lee. They make a joke about, about yeah, that. Yeah. Um, Prom Night's the name of the band. Of course, yep. another Jamie Lee Curtis uh, movie. Um, another one I kind of picked up on was um, the guitar string kills. Um, and again, another Jamie Lee Curtis movie, Road Kill, um, yep. that as well. And yep. another one, I don't know if this was intentional or not. There's a part in the film where uh, Bloodface is there's like a POV shot. And it's kind of a bit static and stuff. Kind of reminded me of like Maniac a little bit as well. Correct. You're another mate, one too. You got those 100% correct. They were what, all what, have, what have I missed out on? What other Easter rigs or things have I missed out on so other people might uh, keep, keep in mind? There's a line towards the end of the film, towards the big final act, like the showdown, and Bloodface is behind the door and Isla, who's on the other side of the door. These are kind of like the Michael, Ma- Michael Myers, um, Laurie mm. Strode, you know, kind of relationship characters. And she says um, uh, a line from Predator. Okay. Yeah. You'll have to watch it again and yeah. see if you pick up on it. But, yeah, that was just something we threw in there um, okay. as a reference to Predator, which everyone who doesn't love that movie. So, yeah, it's a good the one. You got some. There's a couple of other Easter eggs in there as well, but All I won't right. spoil them for everyone. Like I'll watch it again for everyone out there. You can watch it on Prime. You can watch it on yes. Tubi. Is there any other places you can think of? Uh, um, it's in Australia. It might. I think it's on. It might be on iTunes as well. Okay. But it's coming out on Screenbox in the states. If, awesome. 
if anyone is listening in the States, but I, I'm pretty sure it's also available on Prime in the States and it's also on Blu-ray in the States, but it's going mm -hmm. to be added to the Screenbox library within the next couple of months. I don't know an exact date yet, but is that's definitely happening. So that'll bring a lot more exposure to the film, which is great. Absolutely. Um, your background is like music. I mean, you yes. not only are you in poetry, but music as well. Um, and there's a part in the movie where the character of Bloodface, he sings a song, mm. um, the song Bliss of Evil. I'm curious, when it came to that song, is did the song come first in the title of the song, influence the title of the movie, or was it the other way around? No, the movie was, originally it was going to be titled The Bliss of Evil, and I just didn't like the the at the start of it. So I just said, let's just call it bliss of evil. And um, we always knew there was, it was going to revolve around a song. And so the title of the film came first. And then I just wrote the song based off that title. And I made the lyrics kind of fit the tone of the movie and, and kind of what was happening. Uh, I guess at a, when you like analyze the film and it's, uh, you can see the connections there. The Maths Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by Fandango. Get the latest showtimes, guarantee tickets, browse Rotten Tomatoes scores, and watch trailers with Fandango, the number one movie ticketing app. The Maths Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by TeePublic. TeePublic is the world's largest marketplace for independent creators to sell their work on the highest quality merchandise. With over 1.2 million designs, TeePublic is sure to have something you will love. The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by Gift Card Store. Australia's leading provider of gift cards, Gift Card Store offers a variety of prepaid MasterCard and Visa cards in physical or e-card format. You can even design your own card as the ultimate personalized gift. With Gift Card Store, you can gift the gift you know they will love. Please support Matt's Movie Reviews on Patreon. Get access to exclusive content, request movie reviews and top 10 lists, and help support my work. Please click on the Patreon link in the description below. Because I can't really think of maybe like outside of something like really classic like Phantom Modern Opera where music has such a prominent part in a mm -hmm. horror movie. I think Trick or Treat from the 80s. I don't know if you've ever seen, oh, yeah, seen yeah, that movie. Yeah, yeah, that's the one with uh, Gene Simmons and yeah, Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy yeah, plays a, uh, in, like um, a Christian evangelist in it. Yeah, yeah, like a TV preacher, <laughs> right. Um, so you got that movie, and I can't think of anything else there like that. So, well, you got you got some really rare ground there in that your, your killer, your slasher, your the monster, the, the personification of the evil deer, he's – portraying a soul and usually a lot of times these guys don't they're really kind of like shallow vessels and like the only instinct is the violence and the evil but in this take this there's torture there there's a certain amount of death there as well i mean yeah. um diving into that kind of part of it i i imagine you you didn't want to make just like a, co a, a cookie a cookie cutter kind of like bad guy you want to just put a little bit more of a kind of like a nuance there yeah that was something like in the original draft of the script it was very much just a stock standard slasher villain and as this you know the rewrites came through and then once we knew that i was playing the killer 
I kind of, yeah, we, we all agreed. It's like, let's do something different um, and give the character a bit more substance. Um, and there was, there was even things like there's a, there's a scene in the film that's like a two-minute uncut shot of the killer kind of having a, a bit of a breakdown. Um, and that was something that we just thought of on the fly. I just said to, um, to our director, Josh, and our DOP, Damien, I said, why don't we have the character do this? And then we just we shot that in one take. And that just turned, yeah, I was happy with how that went. And then the song that was recorded live on set, that wasn't one of those situations where I recorded it in a studio or something. I just picked up the guitar and, and played it. I already knew what I was going to play and sing, but yeah. And again, I think that was, I think we did that in one or two takes as well. It's a really good song, i got to say. That's- like, it's really good. And you did a great job. I mean, I know like that's that's your bag, that's your thing, but it's like it came across just really good and like really haunting and and introspective. And I think the question I always ask when it comes up to this is any possibility of soundtrack, any possibility Spotify playlist, or maybe even what would be so cool maybe is like a, a, a promo video or something of that song with scenes from the movie or something on YouTube. It would be yeah, cool because I've, that song's really strong. I've thought about that. Um you're the second person to ask me, like literally within a week, where's the soundtrack? Uh, and I've been having these conversations with our composer, Nate, because um, the the plan is to release. But I, like, we've got the original recording that was done on set, but I've, I've got like a whole idea for the song in my head, but we'd need to pr- record that professionally, like get into mm. a studio, do that properly. Um, but I mean, it could happen at some point. But I think if we do a score, like release it, whether it's digitally on on CD or something, uh, we'll definitely include like the, um, the the version of it that's uh, in the film, and maybe the version that like that ghostly angelic uh, character sings as well. Um, kind of like you know, a Tarantino's soundtracks, he puts like little sound kind of from the movie yeah. Yeah, yeah that kind of lead into like the orchestral stuff or whatever so we might do something like that so it's just it's just one of those things we we've been meaning to do it but i think uh the conversation has always been maybe we'll hold off until the film starts to get a bit, bit of a following mm-hmm. and then we'll we'll drop the soundtrack at some point but i want a copy of it myself um but yeah i'm sure it'll happen i'll let you know Please do, because like, I, I really do like the song. Actually, it's actually stuck in my head quite a bit. Because sometimes songs will come up in a horror movie, like kind of like the um, the Freddy Krueger um, kind of like nursery rhyme kind of melody that that yeah, one too. Yeah. Freddy's coming for you. Kind of mm. kind of sticks with you after a while, and it becomes kind of like uh, it is um, it becomes a part of like the overall package of the overall thing. So I think with um, Bliss of Evil, that can I think there's potential there. Really do. Um, something I found really curious about the movie is that. In certain contexts, you can definitely call the movie like a violent movie, but the violence, you don't really see the violence in film. A lot of time, it's very, a lot of times, like, it'll be the initial, and then we move away. Mm -hmm. Sound effects are very big here um, in in regards to that. Um, And then, like, you might come back to, like, the the aftermath of it or such. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's also a pivotal, very pivotal part in the movie, which speaks to, like, the lead character's 
um, uh, psychology and trauma in regards to a sexual assault as well. Same thing. Mm-hmm. In that case, though, you're just looking at a door and you're just hearing sounds and such. When it came to that um, portrayal of the violence and, and things like that and not because some filmmakers can go the exploitative route and show things. Um, in like we've seen horror films and it happens. So we spoke about Maniac before, and that's like an example yeah. of that, right? Yeah. Um, but when it came to you, you, you lot, when it came to those scenes, um, what were the decision the, the creative decisions like in going down that road and portraying the, the violence and, and that's the in the other scenes of surrounding that in the way that you do? Well, the other big influence on our movie was the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I mm. think a lot of indie filmmakers kind of go to that Toby Hooper original film and pull from it. And if you watch the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like my Blu-ray says R18 plus. Yeah. The Australian Blu-ray. Find out where you see any violence in that movie. It's virtually yeah. there's virtually none. It's it's we kind of wanted to do what Toby Hooper did. It's there's it's very implied. Like even the part where um, Leatherface, you know, puts the girl on puts the hook. On the, the hook. Yeah. You, you just see the hook. You don't actually yeah. ever see any uh, violence. So we we kind of borrowed from that quite heavily with the way that they shot the violence there. Because I've had conversations with people about Bliss and them, they were like, oh, that scene there was gross or whatever. And I'm like, you didn't see that. So it's kind of getting the viewer to fill in the blanks. Because I think the scariest thing is is what you can come up with yourself, particularly mm. with whatever's going on behind that door. I mean, that was kind of like a group decision. Um, and partly, I, a lot of it was on me as well. I'm sure Shani would have been quite comfortable um, doing whatever was required of her because she's, you know, uh, much more professional as an actor than I am. But even when we recorded the sounds, of what was happening behind that door that was done in one take and that was because i had to stop because it made me feel very uncomfortable um so we were lucky we managed to to get it all in one take because I, I remember saying to the sound recorders when we did that i said did we get that and she said yep all good and i mm-hmm. said good because i'm not doing that again because that made me feel yeah. so uncomfortable um so we feel like yeah we were just kind of all on the same page where we're like we don't need to show what's going on here we should leave it up to the viewer to um whether it's the violence or the assault that happens and and things like that um i think it works in the film's favor um going back to a correlation with music and movies especially in the context of horror um when we're talking about that it kind of reminds me sometimes with lyrics in songs even though a lyric might suggest one thing, a lot of times it's the um, the listener and their own kind of like how they interpret things and that can frame a song. I remember um, watching a documentary about um, a heavy metal, censorship of heavy metal in the 1980s. And that was a time when they had that big Senate hearing about um, uh, music, yeah, especially hip hop and metal. Ex- exactly, Dick Snyder. And he's, um, the, one of his songs was brought up by um, Al Gore because Al Gore's wife was part of this big lobby group. Yes, that, um, yes correct. And um, he's like, you know, your song is talking about, you know, sadosexual blah, blah, stuff and torture and stuff. And these slide is like, look, the song is actually about me having dental surgery, but if that's what you think it is, <laughs> then maybe your head should be checked and not mine, you know? Yeah. And that was pretty much an infamous kind of like back and throw. And I think when it comes to movies like, like Bliss of Evil, what you said before, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, other movies even like... um. 
Scarface, the um, the De Palma one, like even there's mm. moments in that where they kind of move away from stuff and, and you don't see things, but, but the interpretation of it is so strong that kind of goes in, in, in your psyche and moves stuff. I think it's um, it's a, it's it's funny how sometimes um, our own dark reflections kind of like uh, create the manifest of things in our own mind and yeah. we can't help but but say like if someone comes up to you and says, oh, that scene was really gross, you can't, I think some people can't help it because their brain kind of tricks them into thinking they've seen something, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's the power of um, the art, right? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. I agree. Um, so you've got Bliss of Evil um, out there for everyone to watch. You mm-hmm. actually showed it in the States first before Australia, right? I mean, that was like yeah, a big thing. Yeah. That's something that I've spoken to a lot of Australian filmmakers, any filmmakers. That, that's the route a lot of them are going down now. What was it for you guys um, that you shown for the to the American audiences before Australian audiences? Where was the the decision there um, in doing so? Um, look, I I don't want to speak for all indie Australian horror filmmakers, but I probably know most of these people you've spoken to, and it's not by choice. Mm-hmm. We're not given one in Australia. We're not really supported at all. Um, as horrible as that sounds, it shouldn't be that way. Um, but bliss played pretty much every major horror film festival in the world. Like it played Austria, Germany, um, Austria was the first place it played. Um, it played in the UK at several festivals. It played at God, some major, major horror festivals in the States. Um, we've had a lot of support from overseas. And just getting it out in Australia has just on Prime um, has been a real hard slog. And I know it's hard for a lot of uh, indie horror filmmakers. It never used to be this way. Hmm. Go back five, ten years and anyone could, you know, release their movie. You know, they get it put out on DVD by a local distributor. But I think there's just been this flow-on effect from major big studios um, particularly w- one run by a little mouse um, mm-hmm. with, you know, the, when, when major companies say, we're not going to supply physical media to your country anymore, then the smaller distributors, they, they get put out of business yeah. and that's happened. You look at how many indie distributors in the last 10 years in Australia have just don't exist anymore. I go through my I've got a massive like DVD and Blu-ray collection and I go yeah. through it and I put it on and I go, "Oh god, I remember when that distributor existed." And now there's mm. there's virtually there's only a couple left in Australia. You've got like Madman and um, and Umbrella and that's pretty Umbrella, much. Yeah. There used yeah. to be, you know, so many different there was Shock, there was um Oh God, I've this, this, there was probably like five that just kind of disappeared in the yeah. last five to ten years. So, yeah, I think that's just a, a flow-on effect from major US studios, you know, unfortunately. So a lot of – there are a lot more indie distributors in the States and in the UK and in Europe. And talking to uh, people from overseas – um, particularly like in the States, and they ask you like, oh, so what's the support been like in Australia? And you're like, yeah, we got into one festival here and that's it. Yeah. So even with the festivals in Australia, um, if you get into one festival, you will not get into another a, a second festival. They've got this very select way of doing things. So if we got into a festival in WA, then that'd be it. We wouldn't be able to play at a festival in Queensland, even though it's like a six-hour flight 
from Brisbane to Perth, where in the UK, you can play at a festival in London, play one in Liverpool, play one in Manchester, or in the US, you can play one in New York, then you can play one in Boston. It, they don't care, but here that it, it's very, very hard. Like I, I know Australian filmmakers that will probably never get a release here. And I know, really just spe speaking to people who do, like, say, horror movies or comedies or even action films as well, yeah. or genre stuff, when it comes to any type of financial support or distrib distribution yeah, support as well, you won't, get, you won't it. get it. And I think a lot of times it's because there's certain types of film that's earmarked as to, like, mm -hmm. being that gets pushed and everything yeah. else. Just gets discarded aside, and unfortunately, a lot of times it's a, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that gets pushed is the stuff that people interpret Australian film to be, but it's not the whole whole scene. I think. Mm. But when you talk to foreigners, right, and you know the amount of panels and things I've done over the last twelve months to promote Bliss, like at various film festivals and things, when you talk to people from the UK, people from the US, people from Europe, when they talk about Australian film. You hear The Babadook, yep. that's a horror film. You hear Wolf Creek, that's a horror film. You hear Mad Max, might not be a horror film, could be interpreted as that, but it's certainly a genre film. Yep. So, And now, you know, you've got Talk To Me, Talk which to me. is yep. the big one. So we're known internationally for our genre films. We're not known for 90% of the stuff that gets produced here. No, yeah. outside of Australia, nobody knows. Like, a, as great a movie as, like, something like The Castle is, mm -hmm. no one in America knows what that movie is, but everyone knows what Wolf Creek is. Yeah. Everyone has seen The Babadook. So it it blows my mind that uh, Australian, like, the funding bodies, as well as the general public, don't really get behind yeah. local Aussie movies. And that, that kind of blows the minds of other people as well. Because if you... You're a local horror filmmaker in Japan. The Japanese will be the first to support you. You don't have to go to South Korea to get the support. <laughs> before. But it's a bit backwards how we work here. I think so. I do think so too. And that's like what I'm always trying to do is try to put the spotlight on these things in, in, in mm. filmmakers such as yourself and what you and your, your crew do. And, and I think... I mean, what's what's the next step for you guys? Is it to keep progressing forward, making more films, uh, more genre films like this? Is um, and I know, like we we're speaking, kind of like off air about you know some, some ideas that are kind of gestating. Is the hope that um, with the hope, I say, well, is the goal more? Yeah, your films are going to be targeted towards the demographics of say the US market. Um, is that kind of like more of the hopes of the genre style, the filmmaking style, or well, is it the hope that you want to make something Australian made that is open, that the, the Americans in the UK especially like anyway? Well, that's the thing. Like with Bliss, like it's a very Australian film. Yeah. Like all, like even, and people overseas like it. So, yeah. you, you know, you can't use the excuse of, oh, it's Australian, they won't like it because they do. Like, especially, you know what horror fans are like, man? They've got the most broad, open minds in within any kind of community. Like, they're open to watch anything. As long as they're yeah. going to be entertained or challenged in some way, they're quite happy. But um, I've got two films in development at the moment. 
Um, the first one is called The Conservatory, and I've written that film for another Brisbane filmmaker, Tristan Barr. Okay, yeah, I know Tristan. Tristan. Yeah, yeah he did a movie called Subject. And uh, Bliss of Evil and Subject played at Monster Fest together. And that's how Tristan and I kind of connect. He actually lives like five minutes away down the road from <laughs> okay. me as well. It's just really weird. Um, and, you know, we've kind of had a similar journey. Um, and you, and his film, Subject, is a very, very good film. Uh, so I had this idea for the conservatory for quite some time, and I, I got it down on paper, and it's looking like potentially will be happening at some stage this year. I don't know how much I can say, but it's looking like that will be American money mm. that funds that film. Um, so who knows? Like, I'd, I'd like it. Obviously, we, we want to make that here and use Australian talent. Um, but then the other one I've written is called Blood Claw, and it's very Aussie very Aussie. It's an Ausploitation film through and through. Very heavily in influenced by Brian Trenchard Smith type films but it also has that kind of slasher stuff that, that Bliss had and then movies like Undead, um, classic another Australian horror film our overseas audiences know and love. Yeah. So yeah, two very different movies um, but whether or not they both get off the ground i don't know like they're in very early well the scripts are done pretty much um but yeah it's, it's all about money mate yeah. <laughs> getting getting financing so blood claw we're probably we'll we'll probably make both films regardless but um the conservatory is a film that actually needs a decent budget behind it and i know my limits as as a, a producer and a writer and potentially a director so with the conservatory, that's why I've said Tristan has to handle it because it's a gothic horror found footage film. Right. So imagine Suspiria mixed with old Hammer films, mixed with Japanese extreme and French extreme cinema with found footage elements. It's mm. my my script notes have the most fucked up violent movie ever to be made in Australia. Mm. Which, uh, so that's, that's what we're aiming for. <laughs> well, before we get to even get to that one, everyone out yes. there needs to watch Bliss of Evil. Um, yes. As we said before, available on Tubi, um, Prime, um, uh, iTunes, we'll talk about yes. that as well. Um, I encourage everyone to check this movie out. It's a really great homegrown indie slasher film. Um, it's a movie before like we talked about, has references to certain um, slasher films, so it also becomes a part of, you know, the great slasher film canon. It's like another mm -hmm. chapter in that as well, especially in regards to Australian filmmaking. And Corey Hinchin, I just want to say thank you very much for your time today. Uh, thank you very much for your movie. Um, and best of luck you. in regards to um, the release here in uh, Down Under. And I know, like, people in the States love the film, and now we have to get people here behind it as well so we get more films like this made, because it's very important, I think, um, these small films, I think, you know, keep a lot of things afloat for the indie market in Australia um, if they do well. Um, so thanks again for your time today and hopefully we'll You're talk welcome. again soon. Yeah, definitely. Matthew, I'm happy to come back anytime. I love talking movies, man, as you can tell. <laughs>